the OOC. We are back again in Switchland. And this time, bonus. We have a guest. Our first ever guest. Our ever guest? Yes. Um, (laughs) So everybody, I'd like you to meet uh, Joanna Liu, who is from uh, D&D Research. And uh, D&D Research does uh, something that is like super exciting for us. They basically uh, collect and report demographics about RPGs, D&D, uh, and other RPGs. And it's all super, super, super interesting. And uh, A, you know we love anything about demographics, anything about gaming. So this is, uh, this is perfect. So we're going to find out lots of fun facts. And yeah. yeah. Fun facts okay, that I'll- aren't told by Tanya. Yes, fun facts that are not Tanya fun facts. Somebody else will be giving the fun facts. Um, So my, I want a quick question. And basically, how did you start uh, this project? Like, what made you want to start collecting demographics about uh, role-playing games? Yeah, so I actually started with my thesis for my master's degree. So I was doing a master's degree um, at NYU for games for learning, and then basically deals with educational game design. And then what I kind of like started like in 2019 fall is that uh, I started kind of researching into how D&D players learn and like play the game with each other collaboratively, uh, especially in like kind of remote situation or in-person situation, where's, what's the difference? So that's kind of like how I started the research and then pandemic hit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, now I have to redo my research probably because a lot of topics is not relevant anymore and data has been changing so drastically that year. So I was like, okay, I need to do more updates and talk to more people every day. So we did a survey and also then we did 100 DM, uh, D&D interviews with D&D players and DMs. And after the DM interview, we also did a thousand people survey to compare results. So that's kind of like where we started as like one person mission, me doing D&D research for my thesis. And then it kind of like expanded to something more than just a thesis. Then we started a group and I asked people, hey, is there anyone else interested in this, want to do this with me? So we started collecting students basically at NYU at first. So just like people applying, say, hey, I want to help out. And then they would help out one semester and leave and help another person will come in one semester. So that's kind of the system we run. Um, so what, oh, yeah, go on. I was just going to ask, uh, you talked about um, where have you gotten responses from? Like, is it just both mostly in North America or if you've gotten responses from like Australia, Europe, Asia, East Asia, you know, where have, where have your, demo, what is the demographic that we're looking at when people answer your questions? Yeah, we actually have 47 countries uh, answering questions. So like that's insane. But although a majority of it uh, are from North America, I think about 60% or like 55% are from North America. And then the rest are from Europe, from like uh, even Asia and uh, different uh South America, different locations, uh, mostly Europe and um, North America, the biggest sectors. How do you usually send out your surveys? Uh, just uh, I, Can I, I take one. Oh. I know. The first, the first round, I just went on Instagram and asked people, "Hey, I have a survey," and then people shared for me. And then the second round, that we did on uh, Reddit, on Facebook, any social media platform, all day. We're just like, "Hey, we have the survey. We're doing this research. We try to." get the most rich as possible. I do want to say uh, for people watching, if you want to go see um, a bunch of really fun graphs, who doesn't love a really fun graph? I know I do. And you're on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, Look for dnd.research and you can see all the goodies there. So you brought us some some of these beautiful graphs. Do you want to add about some of them? Totally. Uh, which one do you want to start with? <laughs> uh, what, what are our what are our options? Your options. I was like, I am always going to go to gender first. I was always that's always like yeah. with this crew. I'm generally like, go with your gender breakdowns. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So uh, we're going old school. So just showing this. I don't know if you guys see it. See it. Yeah. Basically, this is kind of the uh, the one of the graph we compared from 2019 to 2000. 
20 results, um, like, you know, with the gender breakdown. So we can see that there's definitely increase of um, uh, non-binary and also female players in 2020. So this is kind of one of the key finding we found in terms of gender breakdown. It's more people, more di diverse people are playing the ND. Yeah. I remember when you posted that graph, everybody got super excited. We talked a lot about it. Um, and one of the things that was kind of being brought up was were more women and non-binary people um, coming to the, was it showing that more were coming to the game virtually because virtually seemed a safer way to enter the game uh, and that they could more easily create table, like virtual ta gaming tables with their friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. The online environment definitely encouraged that a lot. And another thing we we do see that, like, I wanted to see if there's any difference in terms of, like, you know, basically average experience at TDRPG. So uh, there is a difference, uh, especially you can see that men are still kind of like the the people who has played longest because that's how they get started, and then slowly women and non-binary people join in the game. Uh, but then when you compare to people. Like, you know, the data which is not on this chart is that when you compare to the longest play players divided by genders, they are the same. So there have been women players who have played 20, 40 years. You know, there are men who play, there are non-binary people who have played. It's not like, you know, like as you think, women did not play at all back then because we have lots of old time gamers like you guys here like you know have been playing for such a and, long and, time and like Tanya and I've only been playing from like 20 years into D&D &D. like yeah. there were the previous 20 years of D&D &D before Tanya and I well neither one of us were born when it started but um <laughs> but like yeah and it's a, yeah. but it's a thing that Sarah and I have brought up before on panels and, and in uh the OC before is that it's a misconception that sort of before you know, 2000 or whatever, that it was only dudes that played this game. It was like, now I was there and there were other women. There just weren't as many. They might not have stuck around as long or whatever, but they were there. And uh, Sarah and I have even uh, mentioned that in the marketing for D&D. Uh, like yeah, so yes. I like that the, um, I like that the data, you know, backs that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's when you look at the average, like there, there is a difference in average because more new players are joining, more new female players join in. But if you look at exactly like maximum gameplay of the NDA is 45 years. Basically, one of the person told me that uh, he literally walked into the store and then the, the shop owner, hey, there's a new game that's called Dungeons and Dragons. Do you want to try it? And that's how he gets started. But like, it's kind of uh, that kind of environment is if we see that there's no with gender breakdown there's really no like uh spe special cases where uh one person started uh you know like the women started later it's it's we all started at the same time it just wasn't as many now there's just so much more new female players that encourage more female players to play which is a good sign in the community right and that's the thing that we 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 talk about a lot is that once once any demographic has representation the door. The table, right you got your foot in the door and now you get to bring your you know they'll bring their friends on board um and so uh so last week on the oc we actually were talking about the matt mercer effect and like critical role and uh the adventure zone dimension 20 all of these shows and i was wondering if you have um demographics to show like basically the like number of players um and it started after streaming happened about five yeah. years ago. I, I don't have that number because I just started research last year, right. but what I can <laughs> yeah, but what I can show you is to show uh the online play difference for the before pandemic and after pandemic. And I can show you uh three pillars of D and D and divided by age. That's that that's what I can show you. I can show you that role play has been much more. Let's start with that. So uh, as you can see, uh, I can compare with some like other data has done by you know Wizards of the Coast and other places that the role play sector for the past few years have always been fifty percent. Now this year has been sixty seven percent on our data, and I just saw some other big companies did similar study with similar results. So you can see that role play is now seen as more important than 
ever than ever other sectors. And then this is the chart with role play breakdown by age, not by gender, but by age. So you can see that uh, as you get older, like role play became less important. But for younger people, role play is very, very important. And we're like, I was just having this discussion the other day. And then what we, we were discussing is that for young people, it's essential, it's very important to figure out who they are. And DND or t tabletop RPGs really provided that opportunity for younger generation people to figure out who they are through role playing. And as you get older, you are more certain about who you are, but you kind of want to that explore, want that ex adventure. So that's why adventure and exploration became a larger sector of importance for playing tabletop. And I think, um, I think it also may be the people that have been that are older have probably been playing longer. And the landscape of D&D has changed and the landscape of TTRPGs. Yeah, we, we, we've, yeah, we've talked about this before, too, is that... Because it started out of the war game. Yeah, dungeon so, delving, yeah, the murder hobos, like, that a lot of us, because um, historically, D&D &D came from... Um, miniature uh, war gaming. Right, miniature war games where it's n there's no role-playing. It's all very prescriptive movements that have to do with battle and that there's kind of a role-playing shell put on it but that that shell was honestly fairly thin in the beginning yeah um, and that it's it's getting thicker and thicker um and i'm wondering like what the correlation or causation would be if you looked at that increase in diversity that increase in wanting to explore self um increasing over time and this desire to have more role play uh also increasing over time that's how my brain thinks <laughs> yeah yeah there's also a lot of people believe that uh female uh players like to role play more than male and then uh it's it's kind of slightly true according to data female is a little bit higher in terms of like how do, do they prefer role play more but not huge significance so so yeah that's really interesting to me. And I say that as a person who loves to play a fighter and who is at my, in my heart of hearts, kind of a murder hobo. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've always been, I've always been like explore, kill, like whatever. But a lot of that is because that's how the game was played. Um, and I'm enjoying having way more role play as part of my experience now than in my past. Um, but it's kind of interesting to to know we we have several uh, male identifying uh, friends who play or DM uh, who've been around who are very big on role on role playing. So um, mm -hmm. it's nice to know that they aren't the anomalies some people might. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like all men likes combat, all female like role play. It's really a blend. Yeah, right. And so that's why we found age, gender was not the case. It was age that separated them, uh, you know, like if they like no more combat. Yeah. So, uh, so you, uh, another, another big, big, uh, we've a lot, hold on. We've lost. Oh no. Sarah is having a lot of technical difficulties today. So please bear with, um, yeah, we'll keep going. Um, you can pop in your question later. Um, so do you, have you ever kind of looked at the data that you've had before, kind of made some assumptions, and then you get more of the data and the, the result is actually pretty surprising to you? Like anything that was like, oh. Yeah, uh, we, one thing that we knew that pandemic is going to hugely change how people play uh, was like in terms of like how many people are playing online now uh, compared to before. We did not expect that much of a change. So I can tell you before in the 2019 study, about 55% of people said that they have never played online before. It just like, no, like they, they never played online. And then, uh, sorry, 45% people. So, and then, and then suddenly 2020, it's only 8.5% people never played online. Like 90 something percent of 91.5 percent of people have i mean in one sense it makes like in one sense that's logical but it does blow my mind i mean i i definitely i didn't play online before the pandemic yeah so i know we can't hear sarah so one thing that you should know about yeah one thing that you should know about um your average adventuring show 
is that everyone here gamed to some degree before before the show. Um, but that Sarah really, because of the pandemic, was looking for um, kind of something new, something different to do uh, RPG-wise uh, that used the online platforms. Uh, so our show is kind of birthed out of that that same... Are you getting anything? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm just really frustrated. I like Tanya was among that that percentage that did not ever play online because I didn't need to. There was no need for me to play online because I had my gaming local gaming groups. I had like two, I have two groups that I DM for all the time and someone that I played with. So there was, we always met at Emerald Tavern and we met at people's houses. So there's no reason, reason for us to go online. But I will say this is an anecdote. I think we've shared it before. During the pandemic, I had friends that knew I played D&D and friends from college. And, and I got a message from one of them that was like, hey, Sarah, do you want to play D&D with us? And I was like, okay. And like almost all of them had never played D&D before. And I was like brought in not as like a ringer. But they were like, because they, they were like, it's pandemic. What are we going to do? Well, I guess we'll play D&D. And three people are on the East Coast. Three of us are in Texas and one's in Seattle. So like D&D during the pandemic, like because we were like, well, we got to be on the video anyway. Might as well play D&D. Like we, so like. I haven't talked to these people, some of these people in over a decade, and now all of a sudden we're playing D&D together. So it's like, pandemic, what are you going to do? Right? I, I yeah, I like the pandemic that. has changed the landscape a lot. And I, it looks like the, the data says so, too. Yeah. I didn't My question was going to be... Dang. I was, about, like, oh, go oh, on. I was like, I didn't hardcore play D&D till the pandemic. <laughs> I played Pathfinder a little bit, and then the pandemic hit, and and Herman, one of our friends at Sherwood, was like, "Hey, anybody want to play D and D since we can't do Sherwood?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure." And now you do this, and now yeah. now Anika plays in my game and uh, a game that my husband DMs. I just I also DM my own game now game too. <laughs> I also DM my own game now as well. And yeah, DMs their own game. So, um. um my question that actually is, this is great to be able to make it dovetail. Annika talked about playing Pathfinder. Um, do the, it says it's, you're called D&D research, but do anybody, do you get research about like any other RPGs or is it just almost exclusively D&D? Yes, we do. Yay! <laughs> Why are you I read this one and I got like, I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Top 10 RPGs. Uh, we, we did do uh, research. Apparently D&D is definitely the number one. Uh, but number two is Pathfinder. Number three is called Kasu, and then eight, so forth. So uh, yeah, so there are a lot I of. I love that honey heist is not on there. there. I do too. I, I love... saw the honey heist, and I was like, I love oh, that yes. honey heist on there. It is a one-page RPG. Grant Howitt wrote in like 2017, <laughs> mostly as a joke. And then they played it on Critical Role. Everybody's like, this game's amazing. We're gonna play it. So like you, percent yeah, two point seven percent because of Critical Role. We'll point out we did a one shot in Honey Heist. Uh -huh. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Come yeah. a patron and yeah, you can watch it. Cyberpunk is not on there. Cyberpunk is not on there. Play some classics. I mean, this this data is collected before the Cyberpunk the video game twenty seventy seven released. Now that's released, everyone's playing Cyberpunk. Back and playing the as well like because they felt like okay i now enjoy the cyberpunk themed kind of environment i want to bring that into my tabletop gaming and then so i i see a correlation how video games found it interesting so, that shadow run was so high up on the list and then cyberpunk yeah. didn't even make the list <laughs> yeah. i'm curious i want to ask people questions <laughs> yeah, I also noticed, um, so we saw the Star Wars RPG on there, and I'm assuming it's the Star Wars Fantasy Flight RPGs. Uh, there's three of them, Edge of Empire, Age of Rebellion, and Force and Destiny. And um, I'll say one of the games that is not on there are Star Trek Adventures, which Yasa's next arc will be a Star Trek Adventures game. So um, I also wanted, because also like seeing, because you've got Dungeons and Dragons, which is like the grand poobah. Like Dungeons and Dragons is like the grandmama of them all. Like everything kind of came out of that. Um, but also seeing, it also really pleases me, not going to lie, to see Vampire the Masquerade on there. Because that means that people are playing a game that is, it's a not D20-based system. Because uh, VTM and all of the White Wolf stuff is a D10-based system. Yeah. And it also um, is, like, even when you play in person, you don't really use tactical maps. You don't, it's almost exclusively 
role play focused. It's almost exclusive. Like you had to have combat every once in a while, but it's more about like social dynamics and stuff like that. So seeing well, even the way magic yeah. works in White Wolf is yeah. very, very theater of the mind. It's not. Yeah. You don't get a paragraph that says this is what it this is what your spell looks like and this is what it does. Yeah. You get like a vague idea and then you This is what you try to do and we'll see what happens. So um yeah. Nice to see White Wolf still hanging around. Yeah. <laughs> as, as somebody who's very excited about the re-release of Werewolf, um, when they do that update. Grr. Um, um I like Werewolf more than I like Vampire, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, I do too. I'll still murder hobo. Anya, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any questions that you wanted to, as we start talking about like demographics and stuff, any demographic questions? I guess the other thing that I would like to see a breakdown of, if, if, I don't know if you have it or not, but is either like ethnicity, race breakdowns as far as like. Yeah, you know, I, I do. I don't have a printout, out, but wait, I can definitely talk about it. Numbers is perfect. Yeah, I, I can definitely talk about. It. Let me just pull up yeah. my slide so I can I can look at it. <laughs> I told uh, to, to be fair, I told Joanna because we like we had it was like uh, I will tell you the things that we were probably going to ask about first, and she nailed it. <laughs> like all of them, we just happen to have time to ooch into more things. <laughs> no problem. Uh, I can pull up the numbers. Just give me a second. Let me pull up. Hey Annika, how's it going? How's it going? I'm just here. I'm just here. Oh, <laughs> uh, you don't have any questions? Yeah. No. No. I'm just here. <laughs> yeah, my slides are just loading because there's so many. There's like hundred pages of slides I we have uh, compiled from all the research because it's been like literally a long, long time since we. Uh, you, we start y'all get to do some like panels and interviews and, and other stuff right so it's y'all are getting to share all these goodies oh yeah I, I, we, like we really hope to like we're just like uh so tired in doing catching playing catch up of like each week trying to do more research and do more data release more data uh yeah but we, we recently really just did the did a ratio breakdown actually uh, I think it is actually, if I can't find it here, I can probably find it on my phone. Um, yeah, so let me let me let me do that quickly. Because that's and something I, we, we talked about it less OC with, uh, and we've talked about it several times with the uh, proliferation of streaming, and you get to have streams where people see themselves playing. You get games like Dungeons and Dragons. You get Rivals of Waterdeep. You get. Um, native D&D, like you get games where people see themselves. So like if you just go, sometimes if you just go to a game store, you're like, look at all of these. And I'm like, I'm one of them. I'm a white person. I'm not like, I'm like, you're like, look at all these white people playing games. Yeah. Cause I'm white, but like, I can't imagine what that's like for being somebody who's not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can definitely comment on that. Yeah. But, but like, uh, do, uh, do you want the global data or do you want the North America? Yeah, uh, I mean, the US Either data. or both, whatever you've got. Yeah, yeah, let's start with the US data because okay. I feel, um, you know, like our data was geared more towards like North America when we did the ratio section. A lot of Europeans actually told us our data sounds like our question sounds weird about the, the ratio section because, like, oh, okay, because we're following the US census kind of ratio data kind of structure. So that didn't fit in you know, a lot of other countries how they do like racial data like gathering so that's why uh in my i don't know how accurate that the result is for our global data but i can tell you uh like in, in north in just north america uh basically white people are is about uh 76 percent who are playing dnd and then we have about five percent asian and uh 1.6 percent um African-American, and we have um, about uh, 5% Latino and Hispanic, and then we have 1.1% Native Americans, and then we have 0.5% Native Hawaiians and other Pacific. Yeah. I mean, I, doesn't, I don't think any of that shocks me. Yeah, no, um, we're just kind of like, yep, that seems I would, yeah, yeah. I would love to be no, like, no, um, yeah. Globally, the like just white people playing DID is about eighty nine percent. So basically, majority are so still. My not like my son, my son runs a game, 
and um, his best friend is is black and uh, d- like has zero interest in in playing D and D, and even was like kind of making comments like, "Oh, you know, it's it's a white people's game," but they they'll go play video games like for hours and hours. But like the, um, one of the players that's in his uh, in my son's game is Hispanic. Um, and so I just, I found that really interesting that that was, um, and he had never played, knew nobody else who played, but he was just super game to like, do yeah, something I mean, different. For, yes. It's even harder because English is not even my first language, right? So when I play, it's like not a, even a racial sign was like, can I even DM in English? It's my English level there to describe the songs I want to describe. Like, so that's another concern as well. So uh, it's it's just kind of, um, it is sometimes discouraging when you look at a lot of streams and shows, there's not enough representation. Like there's, like obviously I'm happy there's a lot of representation of women in D&D now on the shows, but there's not enough still representation of minority groups. So for me, yeah, it, it can get a little bit like lonely and it can be, every time I talk to people like, you know, from my community, like the Chinese community, people don't know, what the ND is at all. They have absolutely no idea. Like well, I'm gonna lay this out too and you do not have now this is live and you don't have to feel like you've been put on the spot. But if you ever want to guest on Yas, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> you ever want to come play with us if we're we <laughs> will invite you back. We I know like other shows are big on like occasional guest stars. But we're like all the guests all the time because we want to play with everybody. <laughs> yeah we we kind of because like I was me sort because this is like, it turned out to be a web. Like, I reached out to people that I knew that played D&D. Like, we started guests. I'm like, do you want to play D&D on the show? And they're like, yeah. But then these people know these people. And this person knows this person. And this person met this person through this thing. And so we just keep, like, grabbing people. We're like, do you want to play a RPG with us? And people are like, okay. And we're like, all right. So we just keep, like, grabbing people in from random things. And you're like, you're now part of the family. <laughs> so, like, that's how we kind of, like, get our guest stars. We're like, we might either already know them or we just met them. And we're like, hey, you're cool. You want to play D&D with us? And you're definitely, yeah, you're cool. Want to play with us? We are that. We are definitely, definitely nerds. You're yeah, cool. yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's how I do do it too. That's how I do research. Like, oh, do you want to uh, learn more about D and D? And then, do you want to do this? Do you want to like? That's that's how I reach out to people as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like, talking to a hundred dungeon masters during my research is probably the most beneficial sign for me because I everybody wanted to talk. It was like almost like. Uh, like we booked the the research slot for 15 minutes in the beginning. They were like, that's ridiculous. Uh, No, uh, 30 minutes. No, that's ridiculous. 45 minutes. And then each talk ended to be one half hour. So people just wanted to talk about Dungeon Master and talk about how they play D&D. And then it became uh, such an interesting sign. One one time we started the question was like, oh, can you tell us about a little bit about yourself and your D&D experience? And we realized that was a mistake because that was a one-hour conversation. The first launching, I was born in 1972, and this is how I started. <laughs> and then it, it was like 45 minutes in. We're like, this person still talking. We're still on the first question. We haven't gone to any of the other questions yet. We started panicking a little bit. So that's kind of uh, like how enthusiastic this community is. That's why I love it here because I just feel like so. It's so inclusive. So like, you know, so for me, I feel like very, very grateful to be like in, included in this community. I started playing about seven years ago uh, when my husband and, and me were like in a long distance relationship. We we're like, we want to try something interesting and cool. And then like, hey, how about try like, uh, we didn't play Dungeons Dragon, we played another system. I can't even remember which system we started, but it was a different, totally different system, not a D20 system. And then we played that system for a little while. And I was like, I, I'm really interested in this. I want to DM, try to DM my own campaign. And the thing with me is I love storytelling. And that's what draw me in. Is It's because when, when I was a kid, I was a little bit like also the kind of typical nerd. I was lonely. I was like the, the only... The, and you read a bunch of books? You just sat down and read books? Yeah, and I had no friends. I just read book, wrote stories, and then silly in my own, just like, I was just like take, putting on my desk coats and like putting on caps and trying to play different roles and then uh, make funny voices and in my head. And that's kind of like how I started. I was like, oh, I already practiced this like for 15 years. 
So when I jumped into DMing, that was like a natural transition from like just playing things in your head to actually playing to people with real people. So that's kind of how I started D&D. And I really think that that was like huge, like creative outlet for me that I didn't know, like I wanted to. So that's why D&D is so close to my heart now. Like the whole TTRPG is just like so amazing. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to find out because we did talk about like the global, the global, uh, like, like, demographic of people playing D D, but segment sorry my cat um <laughs> she's just like walking in front of my mic i'm like segment um yeah uh is is if there are like country specific because i know from what i've heard like people in like eastern europe or like germany don't play they play a different game they play like zweihander or something like that like they as opposed to playing like there are different like in italy is dungeons and dragons more popular than you know white wolf games or are there games that we don't even know about in the united states that are like almost like regional rpgs that we in the states don't know about because we're like i don't know they made in italy and it hasn't gotten this far yet or whatever it is i think that would be really interesting like breakdown that's a very interesting question i will do that research next week (laughs) because (laughs) i I have the data i just need to cross-reference them right i need to see what rpg they play and then their nationality so somebody actually asked in the chat they said uh interesting point on language do you think there are other language ecosystems for ttrpgs slash D out there say in russian or french or chinese or spanish that's what they yeah, had I, asked I, I actually know a couple like uh spanish Dungeon Master that Dungeon Masters in Spanish. So I definitely know there are system and translated system in Spanish out there, but then they still needed translation. So I think a lot of people are still reading the English and the translating in their own, the rules in English and then DMing in their own language. So I think that there that's definitely one of the barriers. Um, and I, I know like in terms of Russian, there's actually, I, I did interview a Russian Dungeon Master as well. And then she was saying that like uh, it's a lot of story and culture doesn't match. Like some of the stuff that they mentioned is really Western. Like even even they are also kind of part of Europe, but it's like a very different culture. So when you listen to those fantasy stuff, like the culture didn't really match with what she grew up with, the fairy tales. So that's why she wanted to create a system that's more fitted for her kind of SNSD. So it, that's kind of, that. that's where it comes from. Same as Asian, as like, I see a lot of like, like Japanese, like uh, samurai kind of scene because that's kind of uh, a, like yeah. Western Spanish too, like samurai. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, but not definitely not anything set in the Asian China in the wuxia mm-hmm. kind of like like uh, you know. Uh, there was the um, the the supplement Unbreakable that was written by um, Asian creation. It was Dungeons Dragons Five E supplement. Um, and I, I'm gonna Abby's not here on the um, channel, obviously, but Abby is a friend of mine. And talking about both language and culture, Abby is from uh, South Asia, He's from the southern part of India. And uh, I'm telling his story. Thank you for it's my one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite stories, though. So. It's so good. Um, he played in a game. This is before the, before the pandemic, and he was DMing. And he speaks a very specific language that's um, from uh, South India. And one of the people playing in his game was his sister. So they both speak this one language that nobody else at the table speaks, and that and nobody else at the table spoke Nomish, just her character. So anytime anybody was speaking Gnomish, they used the language that only the two of them could speak because yeah. that was Gnomish to them because nobody else, everybody else at the table was like, we have no idea what you're saying because nobody else spoke Gnomish. But they used their native language as a D&D, as a TTRPG tool to kind of like, and I have a friend that was kind of the same way. Um, a friend of mine, Hector, uh, and uh, my friends Hector and Sarah, they were like, that playing another game of ours and they're both Latin names. So they were like, they have kind of like their own little like, special thing because like they know more spanish than the rest of us so like if they want to you know i'm like you have to clue me in on the dm i need to know kind of what you're talking about so they'll like text me um but it also uh abby will also talk about uh one of the first things abby and i talked about um dnd was he talked about the like appropriation of of myth in dnd like the monster manual and stuff like that with like the oni and the rakshasa and all that stuff and he's like that's not what the rakshasa is he's like i'm from india that's not what it is and then, um, but he talked about buying Unbreakable and be- liking it a lot because it, it was sharing Asian folktale and Asian stories from an Asian perspective. And then there's another game called uh, uh, RPGs coming out called RPG C or, or Southeast Asia. 
So it's RPGs written by creators from Southeast Asia that have like kind of a South Asia, uh, Southeast Asian bent. So it's something Tanya and I've said, the more people that you have in this community, the more interesting and fun things that you're, that are coming out. Um, but yeah, I always love, it's like talking, we talk about language um, as, you know, common and Elvish and stuff like that. I constantly in my games will use Welsh as Elvish because of course I do because I know Welsh. So it's like everybody else is like, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Speaking Welsh and writing corgis. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a thing that 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 we talk about uh, for sure. But I'm actually like I, I just had an assumption, I guess, that these books had been translated. Uh, I, I think never thought to think that they're not. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think so. Uh, like, I, there's also like signs of like how many people are like really playing the game i i my survey definitely doesn't have that rich right because all the other com- big companies Wizards of coast and uh, also dnd beyond what they do is they only have their user base as kind of basically their <laughs> their service survey people so that they they really are not reaching the people who are actually playing like rpgs in singapore in china in japan like because in hong kong because they don't have that data there those are not uh their user base so that's kind of kind of also an issue is like we can't really definitely say how many people for example like in taipei in hong kong are playing rpg right now because we don't have that data yeah right oh man okay well that i'm i am super excited to see that data come in said go away and now i'm like oh we just yeah i'm reading i'm looking at the Dungeons and Dragons website, it says, Dun- and this is from 2017. Um, it's talking about localizing the game. And it says that this was, again, 2017. The first translations will be French, German, Italian, Japanese, Spanish, Polish, and Portuguese with more to follow. So yeah. that from four years ago, March 21st, 2017, those were the first ones that the core books were being, languages that the core books were being translated yeah. to. And you can tell it's got a very heavy European bent to yeah, even even in Japan, um, the people in Japan who play Dungeons and Dragons are white people stationed there, just to let you know. So that uh, the people we had a Japan popular, like you know, people who answered the survey, but they're also uh, not uh, actually native Japanese people. So so yeah, so there there are a lot of uh, of that. Like, how do we reach those people who are actually playing RPG when they're not a user base of any of the you know, the big companies or, or the big companies. Yeah. Or the, social, or, or the social media platforms, because like there are different, so, like India has its own like version of Twitter and so does, you know, China exactly. and like, everybody has like their own social media platform that you're reaching your people, you're reaching for your research on these social media platforms that if the social media platform isn't being used in that country, then you're not getting a response from. from nice exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's definitely some kind of like, firewall restrictions for a lot of people so that it's just that information is just not available to us so but like that's why i'm saying like maybe there is a human community we just don't know so yeah. like we, we we never know what what the real case is in the in this scenario but yeah so like, mm-hmm. like i was saying sorry i was gonna say if anybody's watching in like china or japan or south asia somewhere in south asia or africa and, and you know of some people that are playing D and other rpgs Go to D and D research and contact Joanna and tell her yeah. all of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. So no, yeah, we like are our, you're over our time, but I wanted to give you no, an opportunity. We're we have thirty not. minutes. Thirty. We, oh, we end at one thirty. Time. Never mind. Continue. We're still going. <laughs> we used to start at noon. The whole noon thirty thing throws me. So. Oh yeah, so I, I was just talking about like back to earlier conversation before we went live about supportive parents. Like I, my parents still don't understand what I do <laughs> because I, I do, I do pretty much D&D for, for my study and I do D&D for, uh, I do D&D related jewelry and then also made an app about like, you know, uh, making dungeons and modular terrain in digital environment. So that's, I do everything in my life. Yeah, related to D&D, and then my parents still don't know what I do. So it's like, no matter how many times I explain to them, I even did a mini one-shot with them, they still don't have no idea. Like, even uh, after that, My mom like, joined us for the Honey Heist. So yeah. my mom was, was on the yeah. 
yeah, you, you, even if they're like, I, yeah, I just don't understand, and I don't understand how to explain it to other people. So it's it's that kind of, that's kind of the 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 gap. I think like a lot of the culture gaps there as as well. It's like I I don't know when finally my parents understand what I do for a living, but that's right. kind of the, yeah the the sign. Like I I keep trying to like make people understand people in my community to understand, but it's, it is very difficult. Yeah. I think it would be interesting, um, you know, to have interviews with people who are outside the bulk demographic, uh, uh, you know, for role playing, uh, but who are role players and talk to them about what it was that got them interested. Because I think if you kind of collect enough of those those stories, you know, you get that you get that qualitative data of knowing what's working. We have asked that question just to to give you uh, how what's the most common way people started playing D&D? dead actually like a father or an uncle who introduced them to dnd that that's actually the the number one reason so that's funny and then i'll add to that number one reason my dad played dungeons and dragons before i did i was gonna say that does yeah that works with you not for me not for sarah although sarah's close it was not it was not my dad or an uncle but it was my older brother's yeah. But like, so it wasn't my dad. It was actually technically a coworker who got me to start playing. I've known about Dungeons and Dragons since forever because my dad played it, but I didn't get into it until a coworker of mine was like, "Hey, you'd like this." So, yeah. So, so yeah, that was the funniest thing. Is like before, like friends and everything else. It's always my dad taught me, or my uncle taught me, or my friend's dad taught me. So the word dad is always in the, in the, in the top one. Really. I mean, so I that was my kid plays because we played. Like, it wasn't like we play and then he came, you know, he learned about it through friends. So I guess that it says, I guess, huh. My brain is already trying to, like, pick apart that. <laughs> Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, that that's that's one of the data I found like most most interesting is that it's kind of like a sports almost like generational like pat, pass down, right? Kind of like you teach your kid basketball or football, like that kind of thing. I teach my kids my hobby, which is Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah, so that's uh, yeah. Also, it, yeah. <laughs> I just, wow. I mean, it's one of those things, again, where I guess if I stopped and thought about it, it seems logical, but it's just shocking me. Um, it's, you said you're you're making terrain now. So you've been playing for seven years. Mm-hmm. And you, this is me going off topic because I'm just curious. You've been playing for seven years, but you started making jewelry and now terrain. Um, and as a person who also makes stuff inspired by my hobby, um, I just... I just want to talk to you about how, you know, playing D&D. I mean, Annika does too. Like, inspires you to make things. It's so exciting. I make dice bags. And Sarah makes dice bags. It's a, I think it's a most creative, um, like, you know, outlet, right? So people want to be more creative. And the people who play D&D are very creative. So, like, I think it all connects together, like, where our creativity just ha- expands a little bit further and then we want so that's why like there's so many good stuff <laughs> there's people making dice trees there are people making like you know all, all sorts of different signs right so it just uh, uh the community just from in the very beginning where people are like okay because it's based on imagination i need still need some kind of visualization to bring that imagination to life to increase that game immersion so that's why people are printing out maps and laminating them and then drawing on them like in the beginning and then then printing out minis like it just expanded right so i i definitely think that war game kind of like beginning is already like very crafty hobby make make this a very crafty hobby and then it goes from there where people are like okay i can make more i can be more creative about this industry so i think that's really why uh, we have so many cool creators and makers in the dungeons dragons and tabletop rpg community it is we are very saturated and i love it okay i have a more serious question have you done any research or any questions regarding um the gatekeeping phenomenon that it's a lot of um especially like women non-binary non-white have experienced uh in gaming uh have you touched on that at all in your um 
not really as i said like we don't have enough even people to talk to to be honest but um but it, it's just really i think uh personal perspective for me like beyond i said like language and not seeing enough role models on the tv it's kind of same as like asian actors being presented in, on tv or things like that it's or like you know it's, it's the same same kind of uh idea i think as more of us are represented like on the media it's going to definitely help uh the the gatekeeping experience to be go to go away because then like you know one so my research partner uh Rival, who did study in magic the gathering before we, we studied this research uh she wrote her her like previous thesis on that and then so she was going to a event that's like 10 like i don't know how many years ago but when she went there she was like very shocked that it was all male and then everyone had been playing it for a long, very very long time and then they were not very nice to new players even though she was like i'm here to learn i want to research i also want to learn the game so that's kind of like i think that environment definitely have changed a little bit and especially now we have so many groups that for women and then women become better players even better than men and then they go out and say hey i'm awesome i'm great because I started playing Magic the Gathering when I was like nine years old, nine. And this was in like 1993, nine, 10 years old. This was like a year after the game started. So they can't talk about women not playing D. I was a child. I was an actual human <laughs> female child playing Magic the Gathering. I haven't played since I was about 12, but still I was there in the early days. Do not the old magic to me, children. I was there when it was created. It is, like it is true though. Like when I, so, um, I only play with my friends, my husband, my son. Uh, I've gone with them to tournaments and I've gone with them to play days. And it is literally all dudes and usually all white dudes. It is like way more homogenous than just about any other geek based game (laughs) that I've ever been associated with. Um, And yeah, it, terrified they were always like you're good like you're good you should come do tournament days and i'm like no no (laughs) yeah i I mean that's why like i I think it it helps when they see good female players and they go like oh okay you actually can't play (laughs) and then then, like that changed the perspective a little bit at least little by little just i that's the same i also play a game uh called called go which is like a japanese asian chess game i was gonna grab my go board but it weighs like 50 pounds yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So so my dad is actually a go teacher in Canada. He teaches kids go. So uh, that's how good he is. And then I've been trained by him. I'm not as good at all, but then I also have grew up in that tournament kind of environment. So uh it's also a, a, a area where women are usually not being, you know, promoted as strong players. So that's kind of the same idea. So I've been in that situation my whole life. It's kind of you go to a tournament and they're all guys and they're like, oh, you're a female player. You will never get as good as, as men. So, the, yeah. You're like, it's a cycle. You don't let me participate. And if I can't participate, then I can't practice. And if I can't practice, I'm never going to get any better. If I never get any better, you don't want to play with me. And it's like, it's this huge cycle. And you're just like, and that's what we were talking about, like D&D being very inclusive, is we've talked about this before, is like it sometimes people have definitely come up against roadblocks. They've come up against the gatekeeping. People are like, we don't want you to play with this because of blah, 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 blah. But for the most part, like, Tony and I can tell you, like, we we're just like, we want to play an RPG and people are like, okay. And like, that's what we try to do when people are like new to the game. They're like, we want to play D&D or we want to play Changeling or we want to play, you know, Star Trek Adventures. I'm like, okay, I got a book. I'll send you the PDF. Let's do this. Like I just want more people. I want more character on Thursday. Yeah, (laughs) all Um, the more. Yeah, here's the thing: if you have a friend who you realize is gatekeeping any kind of game or fandom, I need you to turn to them now, grab them by the shoulders, get in their face, and tell them loudly and firmly: there is no gate. Just there isn't. You invented it. <laughs> but remember to keep your mask on and do it from six feet apart. Yes. <laughs> actually grab their shoulders and yell at them from six feet away from behind a mask. Or, or, or virtually grab yeah. their shoulders and yes. like, screaming at you in the face. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that the gate, like the gate is imaginary, but the gate is very real for those people who like 
come up against it. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, like we've kind of talked about here is being able to do things virtually, being able to do things with chosen groups, being able to do things in groups where the members reflect you in some way um, gives you that, that feeling of safety and like you're going to be able to, um, you know, to learn this and have fun. And Sarah will, will go off on um, that, you know, gaming should be fun. That, yeah, it's like if it's, it's a game, that's a whole song. It's fun. It's a game. And then it should be fun. I was saying, if you watch, yes, there was a, there was an episode a few you know a few episodes ago where it was very harrowing and people were like upset and crying. But I was like, this might not have been fun for people. I was like, but it was worthwhile. And they were like, no, but it was fun. I was crying. It was great. And I'm like, okay, let's do it again. I just need some tissues. Um, <laughs> we did. We all cried. Uh, it was. I couldn't was... cry, or else my eyes would be burning oh, right. for the whole time. I tried real hard. Annika kept telling the rest of us not to I was to like, cry. stop making me cry. <laughs> the, but it was about worthwhile. people yeah. going Gaming. like, uh, like, hey, you want to play the game? I recently found out that David, our, the guy who plays Zareth and Yas, knows my first DM. Because I saw on Facebook that they were friends. And I was like, you know the guy who was my first ever DM. What the heck? <laughs> it was so funny. It's because there really aren't that many of us, and we all know yeah. each other. No, well, they both live in Sugarland too. So I was oh. like, ah, Sugarland. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, especially during friendly local game stores, like before the pandemic. Yeah, like, that too. If you're in Sugarland, there's only one game store to go to. I don't know what the game store is. There's one. Like, uh, there's like one in yeah. Katie, it's and it's near where I live. <laughs> Like if you go like if you it's that's the one place for you to go then you're all gonna go there. Yeah, but it was just really yeah. funny. I was like, you know, Pony, and he was like, yeah, and I was like, ah, this makes sense. Huh. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yeah. So um, before because we are now we are actually getting on towards. Yeah, we are close to time. <laughs> Is there anything that you like want to talk about that's like got you jazzed? Any new? new things that you're looking into or just fun fun we love fun facts we share do them sure uh, okay uh share with one fun facts first and then i can go into something else i have one more chart that i'm really kind of interested about is this kind of chart uh how do you role play so what you can see that most people yeah uh it's a little bit hard to see. Yeah. do not i do not role play I narrate what my character does in third person. Oh, that's my sister. I narrate my what my character does in first person. I do different voices and accents for, okay, we're getting a, uh, I do live action. Okay, I'm definitely in the, yeah, I do different voices and accents. Yeah, so, so, I, yeah, so we found that people. Tanya, who, you kill me. Yeah, we found people who basically just narrate narrate what they do in third person are the people not most not satisfied with the game. So if you do first person voices, you are going to be more satisfied about your game. So just just that's a fun fact. So, so as we talked about in the last the OOC, while you should not be trying to recreate Critical Role or the Adventure Zone or any other show at your table. Please try out new things. If you see a player on one of these shows doing something in a way you don't and it kind of interests you, give it a try. Maybe yeah. it'll make it more enjoyable. Exactly. Wow, I'm, I'm really yeah. glad all this is dovetailing together with last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, you know, like, I, I think one thing is when I present this data to a lot of people, sometimes, like, yeah, but I already know that. That's just common sense. I was like, yeah, but it's now backed by data. <laughs> I mean, so, it's like, but we have the proof now. That's <laughs> like your sources. Oh wait, we've cited sources. Now we have to use the we have to use the term. What did we promise we were gonna say? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. My it's mom like, came oh. to our panel and then didn't. She thought so. We were like, we're having a panel at a at a at a basically like a little comic con, right? Like a mini comic con. And my mom, who has a PhD, um, 
came and she was like, oh, hegemony. She wanted, she was like, she was like, I came to the panel and it was like really casual. Y'all didn't cite any sources. <laughs> you didn't talk about like the hegemony of like this gaming. And I'm, I wanted to maybe give y'all some pointers. I'm like, mom, we're not giving an academic panel. Like it's not that kind of convention. <laughs> Yeah, well, I did write a paper on this, so I do have all the citations. So that will satisfy you know, your mom. mom. We're going to bring Joanna just for your mom. Like, <laughs> she's really cool, but also, like, look, mom, we found someone who has the sources. Data. Yeah. I'm dead. <laughs> this, yeah, so. Tanya's family, it's like, it's just, it kills me sometimes. When Tanya <laughs> talks about some stuff, I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, I'm really mentioning my sister. It's so- <laughs> It's so funny because I play with you. I play with your sister in that game, and it's so funny. I had to be like, I had to be like, I had to tell her just like stuff, and I was like in character telling her stuff, and she's just like, "Oh yes, I am the cleric," and I was like, "Yes, you are." Um, there was something else. There was something that you were excited about. Is there some, well, besides fun facts? Yeah. There's something. Yeah, that, sure. Yeah. I, I definitely want to share uh, about my terrain builder. That's something like I'm super excited about. I've been working a year on that uh, project. Basically, it's also part of my thesis. Part of my thesis is to find the problem in the D&D community and provide a solution as well. So, so my solution is what I found is a lot of people, when you talk about what's your ideal tool and where do you want to improve, and it's like, I want a holographic table that, like in Star Wars and Star Trek, you can just drag and drop whatever you want on there. That's it. And I don't have to need to know any tech to do that. So I was like, yes, uh, let's, let's see. Maybe I can create that. And then that's what I did. So so basically, it's a powered by augmented reality. So you can just drag and drop anything onto your living room table, dining room table, or living room floor. And uh, so it's show using it's a phone app. And then so if I want the castle, I can just search for castle. I can drag and drop in there. And then there you go. I can see it in full size. I can see pop down view. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's kind of like Mine- I'm just gonna say it's kind of like Minecraft Earth then in that yeah, Minecraft Earth, but without the little pixels, more like right. realistic, like Doran Force like pieces, if you think of that, or or full pre-built uh, assets. So you don't have to build every single piece yourself. You can just there you go. Awesome! I want it whenever <laughs> we, whenever people can play in person again. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, that that works well in remote as well because if I have the app, you have the app, you can also have the same on your living room uh, loaded. So you can see what I see through your phone. So that's the design. And um, uh, I'm running a Kickstarter right now actually on that. Uh, we just reached our goal. We had a really small goal just for me to buy some assets. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, if you want to buy it and then help support, that would be fantastic. Yeah, if you want to shoot um, Annika the um, the link, we can put it in the chat. Yeah, yeah I will. just put the links yeah. in Discord and I'll get them in the description uh, of the which, YouTube video. Which, which one do we want? Which channel are we? Should um, I live chat yeah just okay. put it in the live chat one that'll right, be good sure. yeah be and good. then we'll put it in the description when it goes up on youtube yes all right we do love a good kickstarter yes thank you i just kickstarted both dice and a system called kite and curve all right okay. let me yeah, this so scene. we are speaking of Broken, Coyote and Crow, Broken. Yeah. Yeah. Broken by native people. By native people. So yeah, that's a I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's Sarah. Oh no. Okay. We're oh, was it? Okay. Um so one of the things I, I sent uh I sent Sarah a link to this uh cool uh RPG Kickstarter and it's fall. Oh, called uh, Coyote and Crow, and it is um, basically um, a, a future, a, no, a non-colonized future, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, so we're super excited about that. And yeah, it's got um, a lot of involvement from uh, Native peoples. Yeah, that's really. Cool. It's right up our to support. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, like like I said, being being woman in tech is also hard. <laughs> uh like i like especially dealing with like high tech like ar and like vr technologies 
uh, when I go to conference, it's also like very interesting. One time, there's one one guy like I was just talking about some new cool technology and came out, and then he's he's, he's like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, how did you know about that? I was like. Seriously, are you asking me how did I know about a technology that in the industry? Like, like that. Like, how how do you know that technology? It's the same way you do it. <laughs> like, so yeah. Being women, we only learn things when we drink smoothies. Um, I don't know what to. I don't know what to tell you, bro. That's yeah. Like, yeah. 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 But we're yeah. at time now, so yes. we want to thank you, Joanna, for joining yes. us. And, this so is... exciting and so interesting. And we will probably have you back because I know that you recollect uh, data on the same questions. And we love to see how things change. And yes. yeah, maybe we can talk you into coming and playing with us. Cause yeah, totally. Either yeah. Yes, yeah. we can hear okay. you. Either on, because again, I don't know what's going on with the microphone. So either on the main Yas when we play D&D or a one shot, one of our one shots that we play different systems. So yeah. We will, we will get you on the show. We will get you. <laughs> uh, so to all of our Twitch viewers and whoever will watch this on YouTube, thank you guys for watching. We hope you all enjoyed. And we will see you all in our next uh, video, which technically our newest video is our newest Yas oh. episode, which went up 30 minutes ago. Yeah, went yeah. up 30 minutes ago. Because so I forgot to upload it yesterday. Well, not 30 minutes if you're watching this on YouTube. But oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it went up on Thursday. So the next time you'll see us is our arc finale for Yas. Which has already been filmed. So, And then yes. you guys can stick around and Annika and I will be gone. Uh, and there will be, but there will be a new arc uh, for Star Trek Adventures. Yes. And then we'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank oh. you, everybody. And thank you, Joanna. Yes, thank you, Joanna. <laughs> That's that says queer in Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs>